I grew up Catholic. And I love Easter. <laughs> the, all the miracles, like bunnies laying eggs. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> chocolate for breakfast, which I absolutely did this morning. <laughs> now I always kind of think I became a Theravada Buddhist in this tradition because of the candles and the incense and the <laughs> and all that stuff that reminds me of church. You know. <clears throat> so I'm really happy to be here today with you in a place that inspires me with people that inspire me feels good a friend and i were you know complaining about the weather the other day <laughs> as one does <clears throat> and uh she's she reminded me of smoke week anyone remember smoke week during covid when we couldn't <laughs> see the sun and we couldn't go outside and we couldn't be inside <laughs> we couldn't see anyone <laughs> and there was a toxic cloud <clears throat> and we were all in the bell jar and she says she remembers saying i will never complain about rain again <laughs> and she said this year is testing me <laughs> i feel a little bit like that <clears throat> This feels like a long winter, keeps going. Yeah, I have a garden, but I'm too much of a wimp <laughs> to get in it until the sun starts shining and I have this, you know, feeling of inspiration. And that hasn't happened yet. And finally, my husband was like, and he doesn't care, but when his inner pruner comes out, then you know it's gone too far. He's like, <laughs> Our garden kind of looks like a dilapidated pumpkin patch. Like we really need <laughs> to cut back some of the old dead stuff, you know, move forward. And I was like, well, then I have to go outside. What do you mean? <laughs> I want to do that. <laughs> but he kind of rang the bell and I followed him out there. And then, you know, he can't stop me once I get started. So. I feel like I sort of acknowledged yesterday that life must go on, <laughs> even if it keeps raining or snowing or whatever it's doing outside. <clears throat> I read I read this beautiful sort of, I get a newsletter. I get a lot of emails like everybody does. I subscribe to newsletters, but there's really like out of hundreds that I get probably every month. <laughs> There's one that I read by this poet named Allison Luderman. And she writes this really beautiful letter and then she includes a poem. Usually, and she was talking about the rains in California. She just said, you know, we're waterlogged, where my brain is filled with water. My thoughts are filled with water. The ground is filled with water. The trees are falling over. <laughs> it's too much too much and then she acknowledged you know uh, when the fires come of course that's too much too oh. 
that nature kind of wins, you know? So then we have to look inward to manage it, to manage our feelings, to manage our hopes and fears around it. Mm. It makes me think of a, of a teaching in our tradition in Buddhism. Um, it's, it's an analogy, really, a metaphor. When you're talking about enlightenment, becoming enlightened, you can use the metaphor, uh, and it's often used in the teachings and by teachers, crossing the floods, cross the floods, is to move through and ultimately, would you give me a glass of water? I am so something. <laughs> I need some rain in my mouth <laughs> to move through and ultimately past um, the difficulties of the mind and the <clears throat> reactions of the mind that get us stuck in our habitual emotional responses. So sometimes, you know, floods are referred to as the hindrances, right? Like, um, sensual desire, sloth and torpor and, uh, you know, restlessness and worry, doubt. You know, we get flooded, multiple hindrance attack during meditation. But um, sort of technically and classically, there are, thank you so much. There are four floods. That we're crossing as we do this practice and as we progress in the practice. And one is the flood of sensual desire. So looking around sights, smells, sounds, tastes, feelings recognizing that we're bombarded by things that we want, that we're pulled toward, um, that feel good, that we're used to using or running after to fix what ails us. And sometimes that is not wanting certain sensations, not wanting to smell things or hear things or feel things uh, that we're experiencing. <laughs> like uh, the other day, <laughs> my husband said, oh, have you heard this new radio station? So we're old, so we still kind of <laughs> use the radio sometimes. Have you heard this new radio station? I love it because I know every song <laughs> that comes on. <laughs> and I was like, why would you want that? <laughs> I was like, I don't need that many, that many memories coming up you know, between my house and the store. Like that's, that's not something that, you know, appeals to me. Uh, but really, it's just a flood. You know, when you hear something, say, it brings up past emotions, past relationships, past work that's been done, past people in our lives. <sighs> the mind can really add and add and add and add to that until we almost can't manage it. 
sometimes. I have a friend who's in the process of getting a divorce from his wife and they've been together for 18 years and they played in bands together and music is a huge part of their life. He's a musician and he, he doesn't know what to do anymore. He can't listen to music anymore. You know, it's devastating because it's all wrapped up in this relationship. And so when he is engaged in music that he loves, it's too painful. And then, you know, the flip side is food, of course. <laughs> For me this morning, the jelly beans and the chocolate and the, <laughs> and the gummy worms and the cinnamon rolls and the coffee and it was, <laughs> Yeah, it got wild, you know, <laughs> and I had to be here. <laughs> like I did a lot <laughs> in 25 minutes. <laughs> and we can pull, pull toward these things and really um, push things around in our lives to get to them too. You know, I want this. Like I, I bought my kids a bag of uh, gummy worms to fill and my kids are 13 and 11 I don't need to be hiding Easter baskets anymore but they're probably going to get Easter baskets until I'm dead <laughs> that is what I love to do I bought a bag of gummy worms and I was going to split them up in their Easter baskets and then I got them out later to do this work and uh you know they were mostly gone <laughs> I love them too, you know, but they were a gift. And this is what we do. You know, we move toward the things that we love, that we want, that make us feel good. You know, Easter morning be damned. <laughs> I ate those gummy worms on Thursday. <laughs> it's the little things that we can learn from and laugh about the bigger things it's hard to learn from and laugh about because we're also drawn to you know bad relationships and drugs and jobs that fail us and all kinds of things you know that we think we want or that feel good or that we think we're supposed to have <clears throat> But if we can sort of just look at the little ways that we kind of shove things out of our way to get what we want and reflect on that, then we'll start to notice the bigger things and be able to catch it before it gets too far along. <clears throat> another flood, yeah, another flood is the flood of views, views and opinions. Now that's really, you know, gummy worms. <laughs> that's pretty small potatoes. Getting caught in the flood of views and opinions is extremely painful and extremely human. You know, we know right from wrong. And most of us are willing to tell everybody else <laughs> what is right and what is wrong. And there are universal principles, you know, kindness and goodness and generosity. Um, 
but we've not we can we can notice when we're being flooded by our views when we think something needs to be other than it is for us to be happy for us to be okay for us to stay balanced no if it was like this then i could stay balanced another thing that these floods are called are um, outflows asavas i like that because the mind goes out to the problem. If that was fixed, I'd be okay. If this was fixed, I'd be okay. Maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do this. In a more extreme case, you know, people start to lump types of people together. You know, this is how these people are. This is how these people are. You know, we create strong separations you know we create strong camps all around us and lock into our views and allow things to um, become very polarized you're like this i'm like this they're like this we're like this our views can create a lot of um, chaos in our minds, but also in our communities. A beautiful thing that happens here at uh, Portland Friends of the Dhamma all the time, which is uh, so wonderful. And you can see that it's literally dropping. It's not literally, it's figuratively dropping know this clinging to views when somebody's been including me been here five 10 15 years and finally they say something like fine it's okay if we do it that way <laughs> i don't like it but i might as well give it a try whether it's some kind of rite or ritual or the way that we learn something or how chanting works or you know how we interact with the monastics or how we you know request the precepts okay okay fine i'll try it your way <laughs> okay it's the buddha's way actually but <laughs> or it's a you know we've been doing this for like 2600 years i'm the same okay a decade passes okay <laughs> i'll try it your way and that's something that we really value here at portland friends of the dhamma this ability this interest in actually putting down my views and picking up somebody somebody else's even if it's just to give it a whirl that's what where's margaret she says that oh she's I don't know. She popped off, I guess. Give it a, just give it a whirl. She taught me that. We'll just give it a whirl. So that's how I commit. You know? <laughs> I'll give it a whirl. <laughs> and if it isn't illegal or immoral, you know, we're going to hurt other people. Just give it a whirl. And by giving something a whirl, you know, giving it a try, then we can watch our reactions watch our response watch our results and what we might find is oh, that was fine that's good enough 
I can do it that way, no. Or if we feel it didn't work, you know, it wasn't right, something's off, then we have that lived experience and we can bring it up. This isn't right, you know. One of the most important things that Buddhists can cultivate is the ability to see unskillfulness. That's not about themselves, right? So it's one thing to say, you know, I don't like that. <laughs> that bugs me. I'll be okay if you stop that. And it's another thing altogether to recognize unskillfulness when we see it. To recognize ill will and harmfulness and to be able to call that out. You know, but putting things down and picking them up and trying them on and opening to experiences, that's how we learn. That's how we begin to embody that, knowing what's skillful and what's unskillful. The third flood is the flood of becoming. If you've been around for a little while, you've heard about this becoming, becoming and it's the opposite of becoming, annihilation. I only know it in Pali. <laughs> Bhava Tanha and we Bhava Tanha. So the flood of becoming, the flood of identity, the flood of getting very entrenched in who we are, who we want to be, the end of the road. Someday I'll be a really good Buddhist. Someday. <laughs> it might take a few lifetimes, but I'm here for it. And when we start to think like that, sometimes we stop just doing the next right thing. Actually, we just need to do the next right thing. The next generous thing, the next kind thing, the next useful thing, the next skillful thing. And often, you know, when we start a practice like this, or we come to a place like this, we start beating ourselves up right away for not being enough, not being our, our heads aren't quiet enough, our, our hearts aren't open enough, our, you know, activities aren't kind enough, our actions aren't skillful enough, we need to be better, we need to get better, and getting better, then we'll be happy, getting better, then I'll be happy in the future. And with this practice, <clears throat> we can just settle right in to the present. What's the right thing to do right now? You know, like in maybe four hours, the right thing would be to cook your family dinner. But if you got up to cook your family dinner right now, it would be silly. You know, it'd be out of context. It wouldn't be quite right, you know? So we have to pay attention to what we want to create and instead of creating and always sort of looking to the future thinking okay well I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to do this to get to this this is where our minds are a lot of the time I've got to do this to get here we can be we can cultivate a connection to the present.
instead of trying to get you know, enlightened in the future. The same thing goes for maybe, you know, getting a degree or getting the job that we want or getting the relationship that we want or getting the house that we want or <clears throat> becoming something in the future. Ajahn Amaro said something years ago that really struck me and it sort of changed my practice and it, it was um that the 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 ends don't justify the means the ends and the means are inextricable so if we want to be kinder in the future then the next thing that we should do is be kind if we want to be calmer in the future then the next thing we should do is bring our bodies into the present and breathe. If we want to be generous in the future, then the next thing we should do is give something away. So we can be in the present what we want to become in the future. And just keeping a really keeping it very close. The ends and the means are the same. If I wanna be kind, I am going to be kind. I will be kind, I am kind. <clears throat> if I wanna be happy, now's the time to cultivate happiness. Cultivate it through practice and generosity and you know, offering of yourself letting go of what we're clinging to and then there's the uh flood of ignorance and that really underpins everything else and ignorance is you know acting in ways that aren't appropriate to the situation. So we might not even notice. We might be ignorant of our own habits. What am I doing? What am I doing that's unskillful? And we can't, you know, begin to transform if we can't even see it. You know, so the first step is to look. This, this book here is, is wonderful. Parami Ways to Cross Life's Floods and in the beginning, he talks all about the floods and then um, all these different characteristics that can be cultivated, should be cultivated in order to cross the floods. Letting go, generosity, virtue, Resolve, effort, truthfulness. <clears throat> so we don't have to think about how we're, how we're going to get across the floods in the future, how we'll be enlightened in the future. But we can just sink in to some of these right now. How can I be honest with myself and with others in the next moment? We can do that. 
I'll just read a little bit and then we'll wrap up. A way of talking about transcendence liberation or however you conceive of a spiritual path is to use the metaphor of crossing the floods. Interest in deep change gets triggered by the feeling of being swept along by events, by the sense of being overwhelmed by and even going under a tide of worries, duties, and pressures. That's the floods. And crossing them is not about coming through all that <clears throat> to find some firm ground. It takes some work, some skill, but we can do it. This book offers some guidelines and themes for practice that can get us fit for the task. So floods. Our experience is a meeting and merging of external and internal currents of events. A meeting and merging of external and internal currents of events. The awareness of something out there triggers a moment of recognition as to what the thing is, a piece of music, an old friend, a familiar flavor. Along with degrees of interest, pleasure or alarm that may act as further triggers to action to draw closer, start talking or search one's memory for further information about that thing. So we start building our stories right away. This internal experience normally occupies our attention, sometimes to the point of congestion, as our minds add a swelling amount of internal activity to an ongoing flow of external data. The mind has creative potential, but that isn't always a happy experience. At times, the internal activity of analysis, speculation, memory, investigation, cross-referencing, decision-making, is any of this sounding familiar? And <laughs> Case it is. And self-evaluation can amount to a volume of overwhelming proportions. Those are the floods. Then the experience of overload develops into one of exhaustion or of a pressure in our lives that diminishes peace and joy. And then just this bit. These floods of sensuality becoming in views are carried by the most fundamental torrent, that of ignorance. Ignorance is the force that undermines our direct investigation of experience. Under its influence, if we do notice the problems that these floods arouse, we may attribute them to flaws in culture or religion or human nature, either wagging a finger of disapproval or shrugging our shoulders in resignation. We may, in other words, adopt pessimistic views, but that strategy doesn't check the floods. Hence, the approach that the Buddha encouraged was to see these floods as they are, as phenomena without attributing self, others, culture, or religion to them. But he didn't advocate a passive acceptance of them. Instead, he presented the template of the Four Noble Truths, which we may apply to our experience in the form of questions. That is, we can ask ourselves, is suffering, suffering and stress for myself and others bound up in this experience? What mental factors cause it to be so? Is there an inner shift, an immediate psychological change that will stop the cause? What process will give me what it takes to bring around and sustain that shift of perspective? Using the Four Noble Truths is thus the way out of ignorance the way of transcendence. But 
to keep using such a means, we need to keep turning the mind's attentions, intentions that way. This is why we've developed the parami. They build a temple from whose vantage point we can investigate the floods.